Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you guys. I um, didn't know if I'd make it this morning. I spent a little time out on the water yesterday, and uh, if you can't tell from these blazing lights on my head, the sun was brighter, and I have got a lot of red going on. I'm hoping it turned a lot of flaky white. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you are like, I don't ever have that problem. I do. I've been living in the north for nine years. My body's not aware of how Alabama reacts again yet, so you pray for that recovery for all of our families. We had a great time, but we are hurting a little bit today. Anybody else hurting today? Amen. I heard an amen over here. Anybody else? You know what? I'm going to pray that God would help us to um, not hurt. How about that? Start that way. Let's pray together, and I want you to be ready to look into the Word with me. Father, today I feel like your Word is going to kick all of us in the gut a little bit, and so I thank you for it, Lord. Lord, I know that the pain we receive sometimes under your discipline is difficult. It is not fun. We do not look forward to it in so many ways, but Lord, it is refining, and it is good, and it helps us to love you more rightly and to rightly represent you and make much of you. So Lord, bring it to us today in a way that changes us from the inside out so that we might be made more into the image of your son, Jesus. Lord, help us to see who you are, that we might worship you rightly, and help us to see what Jesus has done for us, that we might make much of him every moment that we have the opportunity to do so. So, Lord, we ask all of this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Look, I know that um, we're starting a new series, and uh, I don't have anything cute to say about it, really. Uh, It is titled, What Would Jesus Undo? Uh, If you remember those bracelets that people used to wear in the shirts, if you were so brazen, uh, that said, What Would Jesus Do? Remember that, WWJD? Who used to have one of those bracelets? Be real. Just a few, all right? Well, I'm not going to knock that because that's a good question. I'm not trying to make fun of that statement. We're just trying to say something a little different. Not only what would Jesus do in any given situation, but what would Jesus undo if he came and impacted you in your home, in your careers, in our church? How would he undo some things in our lives? Because we all know we have some extra junk in there that should not be there, right? It's kind of like the closet where you store all the stuff that you're never going to use. You know what I'm talking about? And you guys are like, are y'all just to get back on vacation last night? It's a little slow. So you know what I'm talking about, right? We all have stuff that we have just slammed in somewhere that we don't really need, and that might even be a distraction to us. And I think if Jesus were to show back up today in a person that we saw walk around with the apostles, and he were to walk into our faith family, if he were to walk into your home, if he were to walk into your life as one of your best friends, I think that he would change a few things about you. He would undo some things that you have done or that has been done to you inadvertently or directly or or on purpose, and I think that he would undo a lot of things. And We're only going to cover a few of those over the next six weeks, and today we're going to talk about one of those that I think is possibly one of the most overlooked while sometimes the most talked about in some circles, I think it's one of the most overlooked in our own lives. We like to talk about it in other churches. We like to talk about it in other people. We like to see it in other folks, but we don't want to see it in ourselves. And I think we all have a bit of it in us. And it's what I would call casual Christianity. I think if Jesus were to show up today, he would want to undo our casual Christianity. This is a real problem for the church. And it's not a new problem. It's a problem that has been going on since God instituted the church through Jesus' resurrection and through the saving of lives. The church has fallen over and over and over again into a casual form of what they consider to be Christianity. But that, I might argue, is not really 
Christianity at all. I'm not saying they're not Christians. I'm saying that they're in danger of actually thinking they follow God, but they really do not. We see it because Jesus talks about it in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. He tells some folks, he said, many will come to me on the last day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't I do all these things in your name? Didn't I prophesy in your name? Didn't I cast out demons in your name? And he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. So you could be living a religious life and really not be living Christianity in the sense that it's about Jesus and being like Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian, like Jesus, okay, to be a part of Jesus. And we could be walking in a lifestyle where we're really living a casual Christianity that's not a real Christianity at all. To see what I'm talking about, I want you to turn in your Bibles to the letter that John wrote. That's a letter to a lot of churches. It was a revelation from God to him, and it's actually called Revelation, the last book in your Bible, the last epistle in your Bible, Revelation chapter 3, and we're going to look at a church that was in a a city called Laodicea, starting in verse 14 of chapter 3 of the book of Revelation, and this is in the middle of some letters that the king is writing, King Jesus is God our Father, through the Holy Spirit, inspiring John to write to these churches, and some of these churches are near one another. Um, they're pretty close to one another, actually, in a lot of ways. And uh, this church, to Laodicea, is a, a church that is um, not getting any accolades at all. Some of these letters, these little short briefs that he writes, these kind of memos, uh, they say some good things and they get to the hard things. But this one really has nothing good in it at all. And I want us to read this, this little short letter or snippet or memo to this church from the Lord. And then I want us to kind of break it down. So look with me in Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 and on. And Jesus says, and to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. He says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. The better word there is vomit. And I'm bothering some of y'all, but that's the better word. I will vomit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove. And discipline, so be zealous and repent, or turn back to me. Behold, verse 20, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, let's unpack this a little bit. I'm pretty sure some of you have heard this kind of stuff before. Uh, You're probably familiar with the idea that uh, Jesus says, I'd rather you not be cold or hot. And this has been interpreted in so many ways. And I would rightly say that I have heard it the majority of those ways in a wrong way. Um, We can understand a lot about the Bible. Here's an excursus real quick, okay, a parenthetical statement. We can understand a lot about the Bible if we take the time to read a little bit of the history of the Bible as we read through the Bible. 
So don't just skip over the parts as you lean into a new letter or as you lean into a place where you see a word like Laodicea. Don't just skip over that. Take a moment, look it up, and understand a little bit about the culture. It really helps to understand what's going on. Let me give you an example. In a commentary that Danny Aiken, who's the president of Southeastern Seminary, one of our Southern Baptist seminaries, he wrote in a commentary about this passage and about the city of Laodicea. He says, the city was a wealthy commercial center, the richest in Phrygia. It was known for banking, the manufacturing of clothing, especially black wool, and a famous medical school with ointments for the ears and for the eyes. You picking up on anything yet? Right? He's talking about money, banking. He's talking about clothing, black wool, to clothe your nakedness, right? And he's talking about salve for the eyes. They make ointment real famous for this in their medical school. So wealthy was the city that following a devastating earthquake in AD 60, Laodicea rebuilt itself without any assistance from Rome. The Roman historian Tacitus said of her, Laodicea rose from the ruins by the strength of her own resources and with no help from us. The city and church, Danny says, were alike. They saw themselves as self-sufficient. They did not help, need the help of anyone, including God. They were just fine all by themselves. The church for sure was badly deceived. Now it's easiest for us to look at this and say, yeah, I get it. He's talking to him. He talks pretty harshly. Uh, Let me give you some idea. Look in verse 15. He says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. Now, a lot of people have interpreted that statement as meaning that God is saying, Jesus is saying to the church, I wish you would be cold as in totally not following me or hot as in all on for this thing I've called you to. But that doesn't make any sense at all, does it? Think about that. Would Jesus say, I really wish that you would just be cold? I really wish that you would just be like totally turned off to me. Does that make sense to you? I don't think Jesus would want that for anybody. And you may say, well, it's an extreme, it's hyperbole. No, I think it lines up with what's going on in their lives. In fact, um, in Laodicea, they didn't have a good source of water. They were a, a lot of cities start because of where they are. They're on the coast and a lot of people come there for trade or because they're in a place where there's a great water source or they have a great place for all this agriculture. Well, Laodicea was in a place because of where it was where people passed through. It was a commercial place. It didn't have a good water supply. And some of the closest cities would have been like Hierapolis, where they had hot medicinal springs where people went for healing. Okay? Or maybe Colossae, where the Colossian letter was sent to, right, from Paul. And Colossae was known for these cold, pure waters that were super refreshing. And so Laodicea had to pipe that in through aqueducts, and by the time it got to them, the cold water was no longer cold, it was kind of lukewarm, and the hot water that came to them from Hierapolis wasn't hot anymore, it had gotten lukewarm, and actually both of them were filled with like these mineral deposits by the way through which they came, especially from Hierapolis, and it was even said that those people that would not often be aware of that when they first came to the city and they started to drink the water in Laodicea, it might even make them vomit because it was so filled with minerals and deposits, and it was lukewarm, not good to the taste at all, right? So this, this makes a lot of sense now, right? I think what's really happening here as we look at this verse is Jesus is saying basically to the church at Laodicea, and I'm agreeing with Danny Aiken on his statement of that earlier, that you are providing Laodicea church neither healing for the spiritually broken and hurting or sick, nor refreshment for the spiritually thirsty. Like, I wish you were one or the other, but you're not. You're lukewarm. All right, look at the verse again. 
I know your works. You were neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Also, you need to know this too to help out. The Laodiceans have become what we call syncretistic or syncretistic. And this idea is that they had not only kept on going to church gatherings and gathered in small groups and large groups and got together on a regular occasion to talk about Jesus, they'd also brought in a lot of the culture from around them in the city. And they had melded it with their faith and with their religious views and religious actions so that they had kind of become not too different from everybody else around them. And they didn't want to impose their views on other people. They didn't want to put themselves out there in a way that really pulled away from what they loved so much about the city. After all, living in that city was, was very good for most people who lived there. It was very successfully good for them and their finances and in a lot of other ways. And so they didn't want to mess that up. So they kind of melded all these things together. And while they might have been gathering regularly as a church, they had lost their way and were in danger of alienating God by their actions or lack thereof. So we're looking at here as a church, let me put it in this, this context, a church who is not really being, really reaching out to the hurt and the sick, and who's not really doing their thing by being refreshing to those who are thirsty, looking for them. And if you go back and look at verse 14, we see some other things that's kind of in all these other letters too. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, and now Jesus gives a title for himself, the words of the amen, or amen, the faithful and true witness. He doesn't often refer to himself as a witness, but here he does. He says, the faithful and true witness. The problem is this church had stopped being a faithful and true witness of the gospel in Laodicea. And so they weren't hot bringing the healing waters of the gospel, and they weren't bringing the cold, pure waters of refreshment to the thirsty. They were lukewarm and not helping anybody and making people sick, especially God, who said he wanted to vomit them out of his mouth. And the question we have to ask when we read something like this is a tough question. The question we ask is, are we really any different? When you think about that for just a minute, are we really any different? I'm not calling you out. I'm not saying anything about you. I'm asking you to tell yourself and ask the Lord, really, am I really any different than what I'm hearing right now or seeing in Scripture? You see, because our casual Christianity, if we have an inkling of that or a lot of that, also makes Jesus want to vomit. He wants to vomit us right out. In fact, I would say that casual Christianity, to give kind of a definition to it, is a summation, listen to these things, of self-delusion and self-sufficiency, which results in indifference and apathy. So it's a summation of self-delusion, thinking you understand things but not really understanding the real world you live in, and self-sufficiency, thinking that you have it all down and you've got it all right, which results in indifference and apathy toward God and the things about which he is passionate. So this is a real problem, a real problem. I don't think God, the creator of the universe, who's worth more than all things put together, sent his one and only son to redeem us and save us from our sins, to bring us into a faith family so we can live casually about that and not be passionate about what he's passionate about. You don't see that anywhere in scripture. Hey, come believe in Jesus and then take a seat. It's nowhere. He doesn't say, hey, believe in Jesus. This is going to be an easy ride, <laughs> right? He doesn't say, hey, believe in Jesus and don't worry about it. I got everything else. 
Can he? Sure, but he includes us in the work. He commands us to step up into the work. There is no casual in anything Christianity. But I think all too often we can be that way. Now hear me right, I'm not talking about the church over here. I'm not talking about churches this way or churches across the way. I'm talking about us. Don't be thinking about everybody else in town. Don't be thinking about everybody else you know that calls themselves a Christian. We're talking about us today. Are we who we say we are? Are we any different than this church at Laodicea? Look at verse 17. He says, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Notice the eyes. I am rich, I have prospered, prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. That's a contrast, isn't it? Look, I think that as a whole, and I do this with a lot of people in a lot of ways, I'm not talking about y'all versus me, I'm talking about I'm with you, but I do a lot of like personality, kind of testing and talking about personalities of people through a, a system that I like to use. I do a lot of counseling with people who have troubles or struggles, just want to talk about something. And I, I really believe, myself included, that we are way more delusional about ourselves than we think we are. You understand? Like, I thought I could do a flip yesterday into the water. It did not look pretty. Made a big splash. Everybody laughed, but I stifled the hurting. (laughs) I think we are way more self-delusional than we want to admit, than we actually even believe. If we were, we wouldn't be delusional anymore. One of the biggest problems we have is not recognizing the truth about ourselves. And he's saying the same thing in the church of Laodicea City. He says, for you say, I'm rich. I've prospered. I need nothing. And you may think, I never do that. But I would say if you don't think much about how much you need God every day, then you are more self-delusional than you might think. I'll say that again. If you don't think much about how much you need God every day, then you might be more self-delusional than you think. I'm saying this brother to brother, brother to sister, brother to new friends. Not because I'm trying to hurt or put down. It's because I think God wants us to hear some things today that are hard so that we can be changed. I also think that we are less self-sufficient than we actually believe. You understand what I'm saying? We are less self-sufficient than we actually believe. We think we've got it down. I am rich. I have prospered. I have everything I need. And you wouldn't say that out loud, especially here or in front of other people, but I think we say it because we don't realize or talk about or admit our inabilities and our non-sufficiencies and our problems, and be confessional. Look, if you don't bow down before God regularly throughout the day, then you believe you are more self-sufficient than you actually are. Do you understand? Like, if I'm not prostrate before the Lord on a regular basis throughout the day, at least my posture spiritually, then I am way more self-sufficient in my own mind than I actually am. Every breath we breathe comes from Him. Every heartbeat happens because He says it will be so. Every hair in our head is numbered. Every day is counted for already. We get nothing apart from what he gives us and declares for us. There is nothing outside of his grip. He not only created all things, he sustains all things, including us, including the ways that atoms work together to keep our bodies and molecular structures together, including the medicines that we take. Instead of killing us, they help us. Everything that happens in this world that is sustained and held together is not because we are successful or right or have done 
done it or accomplished it, but because he holds it in his hand and says, it is so, it will happen. Period. Yet we do not, I do not live in that way all the time. Neither did this church in Laodicea. We think we are rich. We have what we need, but Jesus says we are spiritually poor beggars. Verse 7, for you say I'm rich, I've prospered, I need nothing, but not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. You think what you need or want, you think you have what you need or want because you have worked hard for it. And so should others if they want the same. After all, God helps those that help themselves, right? Wrong. God helps those who cannot help themselves. That's us. God helped us because we couldn't save ourselves, not because we can't. Really, we are wretched and miserable. In other words, we are in great need, and we cannot do, and we do things we should not regularly, and we are in great need for the great things in this life, especially for God to work in us and through us for our salvation and sanctification. We think that we see things right, and we know the right way. Others would be much better if they just do it my way, they had just listen to me, right? That's because we think we've got it. After all, we know best, but he calls us blind. Blind. You think you need nothing, not recognizing that you are naked, shamefully exposed to God. Our Ralph Lauren and Vineyard Vines can cover up our nakedness before others, but God sees us for who we are. He knows. And Jesus is the only one that can liberate us from this casual Christianity. Jesus is the only one who can free us from this self-delusion and set us free from our self-sufficiency. He's the only one that can liberate us from our casual indifference. And we think we have made our way, but Jesus tells us the only way is to, listen to this, purchase what we need from him. Look at this again. Look at verse 17. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. He says, I counsel you. That's the nice way of saying, I'm giving you some advice. In other words, do this. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich in white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may See, you get what he's saying to these Laodiceans? He's saying, you think you're rich because you've got all this money, do all these great things. I'm telling you, you don't have enough. You need to come to me and purchase the real gold. You, you think that you have it because you've got this fine black wool that everybody wants in the world. But I'm telling you, you are naked and shameful. And I am the one to whom you can come and purchase garments to cover you up and make you righteous. You think that you see everything the way it should be seen. You think you see yourself rightly. I'm telling you, you are blind. And you think you've got salve to anoint some eyes in that town? I'm the only one that can bring salve to your eyes and make your eyes where you can see. And he's punching them right in the teeth. And I think he's doing the same to us. G.K. Beale says, Refined gold is a biblical idiom for purifying one's life by removing sin. In other words, come to me and purchase some removal of sin. Job 23.10, but he knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. He's talking about refining someone. 
You think, I think our clothes are beautiful and give us status just as the Laodiceans did with their expensive black wool, but he demands we buy white garments of righteousness so we may be clothed in a way that we cannot clothe ourselves, that the shame of our nakedness may not be seen. Everybody has those nightmares, right? You know what I'm talking about. You get in a hurry, you run out the car, and you get in and you go, or you go to school and you go, I don't have anything on. That's the way we are every day before the Lord, and he sees it all. Ezekiel 23, 28 and on. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will deliver you into the hands of those whom you hate, into the hands of those from whom you turned in disgust, and they shall deal with you in hatred and take away all the fruit of your labor and leave you naked and bare, and the nakedness of your whoring shall be uncovered, because they're whoring after other gods, they're whoring after other things that are not him. They're putting their heart towards other things that are not him. He uses a strong word. Your whoring shall be uncovered. Your lewdness and your whoring have brought this upon you because you played the whore with the nations and defiled yourself with their idols. Brothers and sisters, we need to beg the Lord to reveal to us where we have melded our faith with things that are not righteous, where we have melded our lives with things that do not come from the righteousness of the Son of God who has purchased us with his holy blood. We need to ask him to show us where we are not living in line with what he has called us to be and do. We need to ask him to show us what is right and what is holy and what is not, that we may let go of those things, that we might have more of the Savior. We need to ask him to reveal those things to us because we are not what we think we are, brothers and sisters. And until we see that, until we come to the foot of the cross and beg the Lord to make us like him, we will not be the church that we could be. We will not be the fathers that we could be. We will not be the mothers that we could be or the friends that we could be or the witnesses that we are called to be. We must go before the Lord. And if you think right now that I'm talking to somebody else, then that is the problem. You understand? Because I'm being talked to as much as anybody in this room right now. We need to run to the Lord. Reveal to us, Lord, that we may throw away the things that bring down your glory. Show us how we make much. Because you made so much of us that you sent Jesus to be our Savior by dying on the cross. Doing what we could never do. Purchasing for us the righteousness that we could not win. Purchasing for us riches that go on forevermore. Purchasing for us eyes to see that we might know you and love you rightly. And yet we throw them down. Jesus said in John 9, 39, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see my face and those who see may become blind. Those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. That's a weird statement. So some of the Pharisees near him, they heard these things. They said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. See, we are way blinder than we think we are. And we are called here. He's telling us to purchase these things, but there is not enough money in our bank accounts. We don't have enough house or status or merit to afford the cost of these things that we desperately need. These things are things we cannot buy, yet we live as though we have bought them. These things are things that, for which we are completely dependent upon him, yet we live as though he has got us in the door, but eh, you know, we're good now. I'll do what I need to on occasion, some more than others. I've got this now. 
Brothers and sisters, we have nothing of our own account. We have nothing of which to be satisfied in ourselves and our own doing. Jesus paid it all, not us. We cannot do anything to earn that way, even our sanctification. He bought our salvation, he bought our sanctification, and he will buy our glorification. That means he bought us out of sin and brought us to life, and he has paid the price to keep changing us, not because we are, but because he is in and through us by his spirit. And in the end, he will come back to get us, because we can't get there on our own. We need Jesus, and he has done it all for us. If you are hearing this today and you feel any bit of conviction, if you're hearing this today and you feel bad for how you have been self-deluded and self-sufficient in your own mind, then this is a grace and mercy of our great King Jesus. For today, we see ourselves a little more rightly. Today, we see how much more glorious he is, rightly so. Today we understand a little more about how good he is and about how much we need him. Look at verse 19 through 22. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear, the Spirit says, the churches. Look at verse 19 again. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. If you're feeling conviction, if you think that today's a day that somebody's talking to you from this pulpit and it's God doing that work, not me through his word, If you think that's happening right now, then that's a grace and mercy because discipline of God is a grace given to those whom he loves. So if you're sitting in this room and you don't feel convicted under this today, then maybe you need to wonder if you're in the grace and mercy of our Lord. Do we understand? That's a hard statement. He says it right here, verse 19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous. That means be all in to this religion I've called you to, to this faith. Do everything to the extremes. It doesn't mean be a moderate Christian. Be zealous and repent. Be zealous and repent. Proverbs says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. Look, brothers and sisters, He's calling us because he loves us. He is telling us to turn because he loves us. This church, he says, I know your works in verse 15. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. You hear hear how crazy that sounds? That could be us. We may think, no, never, never, this could be us. And if he's saying that to ourselves, you can think, well, what do we do? We can't do anything. He says, purchase this fine gold. Put on these clothes that you can't get for yourself. and Get this salve that you can't get because you can't get it, because you can't purchase it, because you can't do enough. And here's the beautiful part of it. Jesus says, I love you. That's why I reprove you. I love you. That's why I'm disciplining you. I love you. That's why I'm convicting you right now. And he goes on and he says in verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's standing at the door and knocking. Right now. This verse is not about 
non-Christians hearing the gospel, although it can include you too right now because you're here under the grace of the gospel. You're here under the conviction of the Holy Spirit if you have a yearning at all within you for the Lord. But this is about us, the church in Laodicea too, who did not know what to do. They didn't even know they needed anything. And he's calling them out. And he says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. He calls upon you now. He knocks. Joe, let me in. He knocks and he says, Don, give me a moment of your time. I want to be with you. Right now, turn to the Lord. Be zealous and repent. The gospel of Jesus calls us to radical Christianity, not a casual Christianity. Jesus calls us to such radical extremes for him because he's gone to such radical extremes for us. Do you understand? How can we ever think casual Christianity is okay if Jesus did everything, even laying his life down for us on a excruciating, the cross that he died on under the full wrath of God that we will never have to endure that would be forever for us if we did? How can we ever think that a man who did like that and if we are called like Christ, we won't be that way? He says, you must pick up your cross and follow me. You must die to self daily and follow me. It's a radical thing. Jesus calls us to extreme dependence on him while we undertake extreme action for the lost around us. He didn't call us to sit in the benches. He called us to clear the benches and run out and give other people that same Jesus. Verse 14. The words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, because they were failing in their witness. And we have been called to go, therefore, into all the nations, starting right here, and to make disciples, and to be giving the witness of Christ. That's what we are made to do. We are remade to do. So let us repent of our nakedness and run to the one who can clothe us in his righteous deeds and make us clean and pure by washing us in the blood of the Lamb. You may think, well, I've done too many wrong things. They won't listen to me. Yes, they will, because it's not about how good you are. It's about how good he is, that he would save you anyway. Let us repent of our self-delusion, our blindness, and ask God to give us eyes to see our need for him, eyes to see the beauty of his son, Jesus, that we might find our hope and joy in him, our only true salvation in the Lord. And let us repent of finding our worth in our own efforts or the things and money we accrue. And let us turn to God. Let us be zealous and turn to God to be filled with the riches of his grace that are only found in Jesus. Let us see that. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that by his poverty you might become rich. Brothers and sisters, Let us cast off this casual Christianity into which we so easily fall. And let us embrace God's radical, extreme, zealous call on us as those who have been redeemed by the radical, extreme, zealous, heroic work of our hero and Lord King Jesus. This is what we have been called to do. It is not a casual movement. This is a movement of life and death. This is a movement of lostness and depravity and hell being met 
with the saving work of a king who would become one of us to die for us so that we might be brought into his family, even though he's worth more than all of us, so that we could be his and we could be a part of his life, his movement, his way. So let us be zealous and repent of our casual Christianity, brothers and sisters. Today, we are about to sing again. And I want us to not just sing. I want you to pray unto the Lord. So while we get ready to sing, as I begin to pray, I want you to not listen just to my words. I want you to pray. I will pray for you as you pray to the Lord. And I want you to deal with him. And when the singing commences, if you are not done, do not stop. Talk to the king. Listen to the king. Respond to the king. You might need to do that by coming down here and kneeling before everyone to to post up and say, I am yours, Lord, no matter the cost, no matter what people see or think. Or maybe you need to do it right where you are. Maybe you need to get on your face in the aisle. I don't know what he's going to tell you to do, but you need to walk in obedience. And it starts now. Do not push him off, whatever it is. Maybe he just wants you to sing at the top of your lungs because you see the glorious grace he's given us in Christ. Whatever it is, respond to him in the way in which he's leading you now because it is good that he would love you and discipline you today. Father, help us to not walk in casual, fake Christianity. Lord, give us not what we need, Lord. Give us more than that. Give us what we do not deserve and cannot ever obtain on our own. Give us more of your son, Jesus. And help us to love you. Move within us to drop the things that so easily entangle. Work within us to, to, sh- to shake and stir our affections for what is good and holy, especially your son. And that we might be zealous and repent of this casual Christianity that makes you want to vomit us out of your family. But Lord, you haven't. Because you stand at the door and you knock. And today you offer your grace and your mercy and your kindness. Lord, draw us to yourself that we might see that and experience it in a real life-changing way so that you get the glory. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.